and welcome back to another episode of Hollywood Deep Dive. Uh, we are usually a monthly movie podcast. Um, this this episode, we're going to be taking a look, however, at our favorite movies from the 60s and the 70s. Uh, my name is Nicole Cabrera. I'm one of your many lovely hosts. Um, and around me, uh, let's get started. Who is hyper... Uh, let's see. <laughs> Who's Sir, let's redo the- that part! <laughs> Or no, 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 they're not redoing it. There's no lefts and rights. It's the internet. We just got to say our names. We'll get it done. My name's Jason. It's a pleasure to meet you all. for the podcast. Keep it in. And to his right. It's me, Jordan. Hello. And to his left. Adriana. Hey. And then it's me, Sam. Boom. We have an intro. Keep it in. Keep it in. Okay, thank you, Jason, for coming to my rescue of a pair of tongue-tied. Um, so, welcome back. Um, so, this week, like I said, we're talking about the 60s and 70s. Um, so, you might have heard us on our last episode. We talked about movies up until uh, 1959. And so, we're progressing through time. So, let's go forward and let's jump into it. Um, who would like to go first? And what movies are we talking about? Me, I'll go first. Um, so my two movies are going to be very, very cliche student movies. I'm kidding, but they they, they are those. <laughs> they are also pretty influential movies. Uh, they're going to be two thousand. Tell it all that you're a film student. <laughs> oh, I know. Uh, what what gave it away? Like this is such a build up. They better be good movies. Okay, well, I good yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two thousand one: A Space Odyssey and Apocalypse Now are my two movies that I'm going to be talking about. Nice. Um, yeah. Oh wow! You guys are savage today. I know. The heat is getting to me. Yeah. Well, it's funny because both of the ones that I picked are actually very close to the end of each of the decades. The you know, two thousand one: A Space Odyssey was sixty eight, and then Apocalypse Now was seventy nine. With many versions that came after it as well. I'll start okay. with the, I guess I'll start with two thousand one obviously considered one of the most influential films not just in the science fiction genre but in um movies based on you know how it was made why it was made the questions that it raised and a whole bunch of stuff it's one of the it's one of the first movies that i remember where like there's a sentient ai bad guy which i thought which i think is interesting i don't remember there being one or but if there is i'm sure somebody out there will correct me and be like but this movie from the 50s from this obscure i know it's probably out there um <laughs> But in terms of in terms of in terms of like I guess a popular movie that reached a lot of people in North America that was pretty influential. You see people remember how the the robot, the monotone robot that uh, the humans as it becomes sort of like what the humans are doing and uh, you know sort of turns on them and everything like that. And um, it's just I think it's a very strange movie because it's not really plot driven. It's very much like just about the feel of a certain time period. Mm-hmm. Um, it has one of the best jump cuts ever when it opens with the um the prehistoric and discovering you know tools or violence or whatever you want to take from the opening sequence, which is tools. actually a bunch of people. Uh, yep, yeah, tools. Um, which is actually a bunch of people in apes costumes that actually act pretty well as apes because I I think the first time I watched it a long time ago I didn't realize that. No. Then watching it again, I'm like, how would I not realize? They're very <laughs> obviously people in very obviously people in <laughs> outfits. Um, actually, and then the bone. actually, oh. I heard a conspiracy theory. Um, oh boy! That, so you're <laughs> not Ron, you're not Ron in thinking that, but apparently, I like kind of to go with one of those weird conspiracy theories that 
apparently people for a long time thought they they were actually apes that he had like trained <laughs> apes to, to to act in this movie so oh you're not God. or did he actually go wrong. back in time yeah. and go yeah. to the time period of lucy actually no he would have gone to the time period of uh, homo habilis because that's when we thought how old stone tools were yep. originally basically yep. he's actually he's actually maybe about a couple thousand years old through this whole time <laughs> Then, and, million, and then million million you know what he was the one who threw the bone in the air that of was course. him no i'm kidding um of course um <laughs> that's 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 a great jump cut where the bone in the air transfers to a spaceship it's just a thing mm-hmm. i love it every time i see it and also what's what also blew my mind about this movie that i didn't know originally but i found out later is there's the big there's a big sequence at the end of the movie where he's going through a slipstream of time and space and prophecy and all that stuff where he um you know, after he's trying to get his friend and he just starts going through the space-time continuum, basically, and all the colors are flying by on the screen. All that's done in camera. It blows your mind when you think about it because um, how they did it was apparently they did a lot of whip pans of, like, very high-color paintings. Mm-hmm. And he, you keep overexposing the same piece of film over and over in different spots. So the hallucinatory... Uh, like hyperspace rainbow that attacks you on the screen it's entirely in camera which is why it still holds up to this very day it's totally nuts hmm. that it's absolutely crazy but when i watched that i'm like how long did that take to get all this it, it's cubic right yeah it's, yeah it's cubic who yeah. directed it but, well, but like his, his dop would like you know do the really hilarious painting so conspiracy theory with him that they um another one okay oh yeah there's a lot with him that they had him had chosen him to direct the um fake moon landing but yeah, because he's I've, such a I meticulous it. It. person that they actually had to go to the moon he just had to have it that authentic <laughs> <laughs> that's actually it's, that's actually like a, a debunking conspiracy theory because a lot of people are like all oh, the moon landing was faked and kubrick did it but it's like no 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 kubrick actually had to go they did moon. which is very bizarre <laughs> there's like the whole thing connected to the shining as well about you know the moon landing and like yeah he has the yeah. rocket on his sweater and all that stuff I, I don't know if anybody saw that movie what is it room 237 that's what it is right yes and yes. Um, it's literally a movie entirely about the, all the conspiracy theories related to the shining and it's hilarious because oh my god the creative creativity of these morons coming up with this shit it's unbelievable <laughs> So, um, yeah, I'm debunking all those theories. I think they're all ridiculous. It's just me personally. But um, whatever you want to believe out there. And that's what the movie also does as well. Like, you know, the movie and the movie has a very take what you want from it feel to it. It's not like just what this was about. It's very expressionist and all that stuff, which I thought was really cool. And also, like, the, the, the gravity sequences are really cool where the guy is doing laps and supposedly running on the ceiling. In fact, it's doing basically the same camera rotation technique that you used that they used in Inception. Nolan got that from this movie, which is kind of neat. Of course, they 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 they, they plant the camera into the ground, and then the set rotates. So to the camera, nothing is moving, but to everybody else, it looks like the the guy is running around the station uh, in a loop defying gravity as an exercise. And so that's just it's just really cool. It's just the fact that it all of it was done even before we had pictures of the Earth and the Moon. It's kind of insane mm-hmm. if you think about it. It was all before the moon landing and all that stuff. Or that, was it? Don't give them another one. We, they got like 10. You Don't said I could take whatever I want from that movie. This is true. This is true. I guess that's true. You, you can take that. They've already been to the moon. They've been there forever. And uh, and evolution is a lie. You could take that from the movie. I don't know. 
Um, but, uh, uh, that's why it's it's just it, I mean, it influenced everything that came after it. Like like a lot of movie movies were just like especially science fiction felt a lot different after that movie for good reason. Definitely, um, yeah. And then and then to go to my second movie, Apocalypse Now. I almost I, the the fact that the documentary behind the scenes makings of the movie is like nearly as good as the actual movie is just how insane the production was for this movie. I think it was supposed to be like month production. It ended up taking three years because just everything that could go wrong on this movie just went wrong. Like this movie was just not meant to happen. And they saw that just willed it to happen. And some of Francis Ford Coppola who directed the movie, some of his own money went into the movie that he made from the Godfather and all that stuff. And, Oh my God! It's 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 obviously the adaptation of Heart of Darkness, and um, which is actually a, a short novel. Yeah, it's a, a very story. short book. Yeah. yeah, and then they make this epic movie out of it. They make quite an epic movie out of it. I remember almost every scene because it's something about this movie where I feel like I'm in some kind of like really strange dream state during the Vietnam War, and all the stuff that happens in it is just. Oh man, it just gets to me. It just really gets to me for some reason. I like the idea of him, you know, going down the river to find this enemy and he's finding himself in the process. I know that's a bit of a cliche, but like it's it's just the scenes are very well done. We got a very young Lawrence Fishburne. This is one of his first movies that he was in. Um and uh a lot of a lot of great actors in it as well. Some of whom a lot of crazy stuff happened to them. So um just a few of the things that happened on this movie. Um, a lot of the some of the explosions for like the napalm sequences went off before they were supposed to, which is God knows how Ooh. much money to redo again. Um, sets were blown down by a hurricane, so they had to be rebuilt, <laughs> um, oh which is God. a big deal. Um, Martin Sheen had a heart attack. Uh, he lived, came back and filmed. Um, what else do you do? Oh, there's a sequence where he's drunk and he's having sort of a bit of an episode in his own room before he gets you know taken for the mission. And uh, he, there's a scene he smashes a mirror. Then he smears the blood from his hand all over his face and all that stuff. That was his blood, uh, totally, wasn't it? Totally actually cut his hand and uh, was hemorrhaging blood. Ah. And they had, to, they, they, had, they had to cut after that take. But they kept it in. Uh, I mean, it looked really good. Because so, uh, <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'm totally they, not dying. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he stayed in character. I mean, good for him. Uh, Marlon Brando showed up overweight, hadn't read the book, didn't know any of his lines because Marlon Brando. And oh, um, <laughs> so almost all of his dialogue in the movie is just him, basically him saying whatever the hell he wants to say about the world, and then, <laughs> then he it works back into the darkness. Because like they're going mad. It no, exactly. It's weird how well it works, the movie, because he is the insane general who has seen the light, and you know, and all that stuff, and and um, and then there's the actual sacrifice of I believe it's a bull. Am I wrong? Oh about God, that? it's it. Yeah, so so it's real. It was it was eaten by the tribe that did it. It wasn't like it was for nothing. They they, okay. they you know, but it, it it is it is a genuine ritual among that tribe where they shot it. They asked them to just do it, but for real, but for real, just right on camera and intercut it with you know the other stuff that's happening. Um, and uh, and yeah, it's just it's a wild, just sort of hallucinatory trip into war, what it does to the mind, what it does to the soul, and and isolation and. Know, how your how your viewpoint will change as you go on this journey of Martin Sheen's uh, voiceover in the movie. It's really good. Um, and like like it, it's a movie that I I I show the, these two movies. They're just sort of they're really big head trips. I'm sort of a sucker for head trip movies, but I but I guess it sort of got me how much you think about 
environments and their place and their time, and then how they ended up being very influential after the fact for a lot of you know other big filmmakers to base their things upon them. Well, yeah, and because the the uh, novel is from like 1899, so yeah. originally wow. it's just supposed to be about Britain going into Africa, and then Francis Ford Coppola changes it to Vietnam to be about yeah. yeah Vietnam. So he makes it more present, so, and then I think that's why it has more of a lasting. They also have some of the best know. editing. There's one of the um the close to the opening of the movie. There's um amazing overlapping editing with um the, with the doors a song i believe it's called this is the end it's you know mm-hmm. this is the end beautiful friend you know that song and um because you know i'm really good with music music and, uh, stylings of chase oh my god jim morrison <laughs> is that you oh my god oh man i looked like him for a bit during this quarantine um <laughs> and, uh, some crazy hair <laughs> did. It, it's all gone now because it's just too hot, so I had to get rid yeah. of it. But um, they, they intercut, they overlap, like you know, the the ceiling fan with the sound of a helicopter because he's a man who has been to war before and is just sort of getting out of it, trying to assimilate himself back into reality and everything. And he's sort of forced to go on this thing where he has to go and and this strange general who's gone up the river to God knows where, and uh, yeah, it's 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 just a total descent into and all all the all the terrible things about war that you sort of want to think about but this film wants to think about all the time and hmm. I, that's why that's why i really love those two movies and if you haven't seen them they are they still hold up to this very day as really really good movies really really good it's still really good on blu-ray i have it it's just amazing yeah it looks it looks great on 70 mil too i've seen i've i've been able to see it at tiff because of um, and it looks great. I think people don't take advantage of of how a kind of a little bit trippy you, you said it is, uh, because it, you always find like, get a nice amount of yeah. yeah well, yeah. Well, the, the, the experience is meant to be a bit of a hallucinatory experience, so I understand. It's I like even watching it without being you know inhibited by anything else. I mean, it's it's crazy watching it. It's, it it really does sort of like you know fire a lot of crazy ideas at the back of your mind when you're watching it you're mm-hmm. like what in the hell is going on here you know and, and a lot of this how, how all the sets are real how they're defying gravity how their vision of the future was versus what it actually ended up being because it's you know it's 2001 they think it's going to be right and right. uh so some of the things in it you're like oh, okay i see where that came from and other things you're like wow they're way off on that but that's okay because they were just sort of imagining what would be so, were they hoping for fine. the best and then they found out the best kind of didn't happen i don't know if they were if the movie hopes for the best i don't really want to spoil it really but it's it's just it's it just hopes a, for better <laughs> it, it be hopes bad. it hopes for good things it also talks it like speaks a lot to how like you know does ai have any sentience versus you know making choices can we trust a machine to make choices kind of stuff ask tesla no yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. ask this movie no um you know don't let the don't let how yeah nine thousand. you know be your be your wingman or whatever uh, <laughs> i remember I'm those sorry, discussions i'm came sorry out. dave that girl's not for you anyways oh, god um, please don't remind me of that voice that voice creeped me out for years i'm sorry dave i'm afraid i can't do that right now <laughs> 
and then the podcast well, the goes, audience can't see yeah. me or fucking jason can't see me and I the podcast just goes like slipstream dirtiest. oh my god <laughs> great voice though it's a great voice mm-hmm. it, it's really diff- it, it's it's really difficult to give a screen character it's because it's just a red light that's the character it has to entirely be voice it's really cool cool go voice actors they're amazing mm-hmm. you can't just put any actor into a voice acting role or you get the lion king Ooh. <laughs> and with that we've said everything yep. <laughs> i agree, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Anyways. Salty Sam is done. So, yeah, i mean those are those are my two movies and uh if you if for some reason i'm sure a lot of you out there listening to this have seen have seen it but if you haven't seen them Definitely go and check them out because they're very timeless movies. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Okay, shall we move on? Who's next? Uh, I'll go next. Okay, Jordan, what did you watch? Okay, so going to the complete opposite side of that spectrum, <laughs> um, <laughs> mm-hmm. one of the movies I decided to talk about is uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> No, that still oh, happy. the same thing as Hal. Like cute. That still follows the same thing as Hal. That thing Lily, still we're talking about, out. Talking about the, we're talking about the Johnny Depp masterpiece. I'm just... Oh, God. No. <laughs> I like Johnny I Depp. I mean, you're oh, not. Oh, my God. Please, no. Listen, I, I actually am quite afraid of the Oopa Loopas now. I used to not be as a kid. I Why? saw it again as an adult, and I was like, oh, no. oh hell no. Oh, my God. It's so creepy. <laughs> I don't. Wait, wait, I don't know the stupid scene where like they go through the tunnel. No, I don't need a little a little person to like sing a moral at me. Like it's a little <laughs> bit unnerving. We're good. Very good. puzzle for you. Oh my god! <laughs> but like the moment you hear it, though, like you just know exactly. Like just want to eat chocolate as soon as I hear it. You're right. <laughs> oh yes chocolate. it does have a dark atmosphere though the whole movie it's really messed up when you think about it. you really think about how the movie functions it's really really fucked up come on like be like like this guy yeah. has built some strange chocolate factory that sucks up yeah. kids and blows up kids speaking of bad. movies to watch high yeah, yeah. <laughs> Continue. though yes, though, was- though it did give us that the you know the wonderful like uh uh willy wonka memes and uh, yeah. And of course, the you get best. nothing, which is a great line. You get nothing. The, yeah. uh, and, and the acid trip from hell down the waterfall way when they're on yes. the Yes. No, thank you. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> so actually, I remember in one of the behind the scenes, um, they were talking about how, like, Willy Wonka is, like, as you guys mentioned, like, he has, like, all these bad things happen to the kids, but, the, but somehow he's still able to come off as, like, likable and charming in a way. They do all live at the end, not because they see them walk out of the factory at the end, right? Yes, I don't remember that part. Pretty Maybe sure they did. do. No, I'm, they I'm like 99% sure they all end up walking out of the factory after they recover from you know their illness torture? or their lack of body. Yeah, I remember that was in the new one, but I don't remember if that was in the original. I think it's implied in the original that like they after they learn their moral lesson, he like lets them go. Yeah, like I think um, he's uh, Gene Wilder said, like, uh, oh, looks kids will be all right. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> They'll be probably fine, right? Be fine. Are they mentally okay? <laughs> oh, that's a different yeah. story. You know, the, the, that fat kid is going to grow up. He's he's gonna, like turn anorexic. He'll never like look at chocolate again. It'll oh be God. it'll be it'll be horrible. It'll be horrible for that guy. 
my god yeah no they, they just soar over the factory and you don't see anything at the end oh okay okay yeah well then they must they i, I remember they implied it somewhere yeah um, me too jordan, jordan let me ask you this did you know this at the beginning when um gene wilder coming up to the kids who are lined up at the factory and he does his little out of nowhere he just does like a tumble and a flip and comes up and then says mm-hmm. hi to the kid apparently that wasn't in the script at all and like he just did that to make the kids laugh or something oh i yeah. did not know that that was awesome okay. I I that i'm pretty sure that was a thing yeah it was i've heard that before too i think he okay. um like did a lot of improvisation because apparently that scene where they go through the um title wasn't supposed to be that creepy <laughs> Gene Wilder. <laughs> yeah. Well, Gene Wilder's been in some pretty messed up movies, so. He is messed up. He yeah, was like in the uh, English version of uh, Le Petit Pass, and, like, that thing is messed up. He's, a like, the human version of the, oh, I have only watched this in French recently, uh, of the fox that he's trying to tame in the movie, the little kid. <laughs> I've and never like, seen it. It goes between the fox and him, a humanoid fox, kind of having that same relationship with the boy, and it's effing creepy. Why am I French class? <laughs> Why am I? I'm thinking, unfortunately, the scene from The Simpsons with Homer and the coyote. Unfortunately, find your soulmate, Homer. That's what I'm thinking of right now. Instead, <laughs> he's talking to a fox. Yeah, it, it, it's messed up. Things I had to watch in French class, Madame Beggy. Just it also a thing that like Roald Dahl like just eats any movie adaptation of his or something? Yeah, like, he really he didn't like. Um, so apparently, like he wrote the original version of the script and then they just like changed most of it. Threw it away. Yeah, that's what they always do with a lot of authors. They're like, oh, that's nice. Okay, what do you got? Yeah, yeah he also didn't like. Um, he, there was someone else he wanted instead of Gene Wilder to be Willy Wonka. Um, we have it here. Cruise. Um, he wanted uh, Spike Milligan to be Willy Wonka. Who? He was. Um, he was. He's, he's a he's a British Irish uh, actor. Yeah. Um, he was in um, the original Monty Python's Flying Circus. Oh, that makes more sense. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, British thing we recognize. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the same sense of humor, so that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. He also didn't like the music, but... which was a little sad for me because that's, that's one of my favorite things about the movie. Oh, I mean, who? I mean, it's Nicole's favorite song is the Oompa song. Oompa. Creepy. What else did you uh, choose, Jordan? <laughs> um, and so the second one um, is uh, Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. Oh my god! Yes! Movie. <laughs> I remember seeing. I remember seeing commercials for that movie on my old Lion King VHS. I think, like, because I watched the. I, when I was a kid, I would watch the Lion King, and it would. I would rewind it. I would set the VCR to rewind it to the beginning because I was like obsessed with it when I was like you know four or five years old, right? Honestly, and, uh, I it's my remember... favorite mu- movie. One of my favorite movies of all time. Okay. I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> For the people who made bed knobs and broomsticks out there, you can quote this and put it on the box now. Sam said, you have a quote now for the box. It's the best. <laughs> Nobody in the history of the earth has ever said bed knobs and broomsticks. The best movie ever. Hey, I <sighs> love it. It was great. It had some cool elements of history in it, which is pretty cool and like played on that idea of what would happen if like someone would 
invade because that was a real thought. The what happened if we went underwater like a... on the bed? Gotcha. Not that part. <laughs> the home guard. I, I, that is one of my favorite. Blocking out the signs. I love those that part. It was oh, also God. it was just like, and then this little old lady beats the Nazis. Yes. That's right. <laughs> yeah, oh, God, and Joel yes. Lansbury did a great job. Oh yes. I'm going to be me... honest, I didn't watch it as a kid. That was not one of my Disney movies. So I, I don't think I've I watched it. Have you seen it yet? I've seen it as an adult, but it doesn't have the yeah. same impact for me because I like I saw it and I'm like, oh, this is okay, but it's not like a child, like a cherished childhood <sighs> movie for me. Yeah, I was like a little bit we older, need to get like the a... other person in our friend group who loves this movie, get him on here, and like he will be with us on this side. <laughs> I mean, you can't really get mad at the movie. You can't get mad at the movie. There's bed knobs and there's broomsticks. I mean, what more do you want? <laughs> well, there's... It's not like your faith is led. Yeah, no, it's okay, like... What do you love about it? So I'm going to quiet down now. <laughs> That's good about it. That's more. Um, I love the music in it. Like, um, a lot of the musical scenes are really nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly, um, as you mentioned, the underwater scene of Beautiful Briny. I love that song. Portobello Road is great. That one's. Oh my um... God. I love that one, especially where they have all the different soldiers from the different parts of the British Empire doing a dance specific to their area. Mm hmm. Uh, my brother yeah. would actually replay like, just that part. Just Portobello. Same. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like they have um, uh, Punjabi dance, uh, Bangra, Highland. Uh, Jamaica, like it was really interesting that part because like Port Bell Road has everyone there, but it also had all the soldiers that would have been in that area on leave during the two. So they brought that t- type of notion. It was a really cool music and dancing. Yeah, so apparently the, cool. actually the whole movie was over two hours long, and then they had to cut it down. And then after that, they like lost a lot of the footage. No, oh, no, oh, no. Wow. So now like there's just part of the movie that does it like only exists like. Like this, like there are some songs that were cut, and you can only just—they have like some clips, um, but that's it. That's depressing. Mind me, I don't know for whatever reason, and I could be wrong about this because I don't remember the movie that well because I've only seen it, I think, like once or twice over the years. It reminded me a little bit of the old Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Has anybody seen that movie? Yeah, yeah. I was about oh. to say that. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean, it's basically the kids' version. <laughs> version, Chitty Bang Bang, eh? Okay, could... yeah, no, I was thinking the same thing. I was about to okay. say, I sometimes get them confused. Yeah, it's really interesting. The people who uh, who produced all the original Bond films are the same producers of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. It was actually kind of funny. <laughs> oh, really? I, yeah, didn't it's, know uh, that. I think it's Albert R. Broccoli. Broccoli, and, yeah. And the broccoli. Yeah, he did. He did. I think he did Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I got to look that up to see if I'm sure I'm not being a total <laughs> idiot here, but I'm pretty that's, sure. That's funny if it is. Let me see here. Van Dyke and all that stuff. Yeah, that's from three years before that. Hmm. Let's see. Uh, casting group. You can keep going, Jordan. I'm just looking it up. Okay. Um, so just for those movie. of you who haven't right. seen it, <laughs> um, so the movie um follows Angela Lansbury playing um Miss Price, who is um a reclusive woman who lives out in the countryside. Um, but um three ch- it takes place during World War Two, so three children come from London to, um to stay with her to keep them away from the city, and they find out that she's actually a witch in training. Um, so she's trying to find a as, spell as, to as help, um, <laughs> win the war. So she's trying to find a spell to, um, help turn the war into the allies' favor. Um, but the, um, magic book subscription service she's subscribed to ends abruptly. 
So she and the kids go to find um, the Professor Brown, who is played by uh, David Tomlinson. And he turns out to be... Sorry, Sam, you're saying? He's also um, George Banks and Mary Poppins. So he plays a very interesting roles in both of like these Disney movies. Oh, weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so, also, um, I, I can confirm, by the way, that it was also Albert R. Broccoli who did produce Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. So. Okay. Oh, that sweet. is interesting. So, so he's like, hey, you only live twice. Next movie, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> very, Good very on the rest of you out portfolio. there. Yeah. Kids can't watch anything I make. What are we going to do? <laughs> Anyways. Okay. So actually, apparently, um, going back to Mary Poppins, apparently they originally considered Julie Andrews for the role. Um, Chimney sweeper? I'm just of, kidding. Of Miss no, Angela. Oh, know, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um, and then, because um, apparently Bednaz and Brutzik was in development before Mary Poppins, but then like once they got the rights to Mary Poppins, they like jumped full sail on Mary Poppins. Oh. Um, I think they were supposed then, to try making this in 1960. Things? Yep. Yeah, yeah, ni- early 1960s, and it didn't, this didn't actually come out until 1971. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. Hmm. Yeah, so Is then it... they find out, sorry. No, 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 you're good, you're good, you're good. I was going to say, so they find out that um, actually Professor Brown, while he is sending her actual magic books, he himself is not a magician. He's just sort of like a street performer who like just <laughs> discovered the books and started just selling them. <laughs> That's funny. And can't do any of the spells right. But they work for her. So together they all team up to try to find the rest of the book and um and complete the spell. I mean it is a while the Nazis are trying to invade. (laughs) Yeah, meanwhile. (laughs) Yeah. That was so good. It's a very good movie that I think deserves a better reputation than being the not Mary Poppins. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like the lesser Mary Poppins. It's Lester really, Mary Poppins. So really it's sort good. of a strange, it's sort of a strange bastard child among the Disney movies because it doesn't get a lot of attention. When it comes to you know revisiting Disney classics and stuff like that because there's obviously a lot of them, a lot of them animated, mm-hmm. obviously, but there's also yeah. a lot of them that are live action that were pretty big back in the day. And this yeah, doesn't this really get kind of like a lot of attention. Roger Rabbit in the sense that there's a scene and Mary Poppins as well. There's the scenes where they go into the animated world, mm-hmm. right? Although one thing cool. I feel like in Bedknobs and Broomstick case is that they always, at least from what I've seen in recent versions of it, like they always try to overplay the animated segment. Mm-hmm. Like, like I remember oh, on the DVD box it. art, yeah. like the animated characters were like front and center, even though that's like less than a quarter of the movie. Yeah, it's maybe like a 15 minute scene max. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe to sell it, they did that, you know? Yeah. yeah. It was really good. Yeah, I loved it. Interesting. And it was also, um, it, it ended up winning, it actually won the Oscar that year for visual effects. Yeah. Stuff. Hmm. It was cool stuff. Go movie. <laughs> so those were the two I wanted to talk about. Awesome. Yes. Okay, uh, anything else, Jordan, before we move on? Um, watch those movies if you have it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Glowing, glowing yeah. recommendation, yeah. Watch the it's on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> very nice yeah, that's movie. good. <laughs> Okay, uh, who's next? Me. Pick me. Okay, Adriana, what movies did you watch? <laughs> you pointed right at her. The internet. Um, so I picked, obviously, Breakfast at Tiffany's from 1961. Also the same year that my mom was born. So that's how I remember. <laughs> Crowd goes mild. Woo! Wow! <laughs> wow. 
My cousin hey. really loves this movie. Um, I liked it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I just think it's listen, so. Listen to that. Did you hear that? Listen to that glowing endorsement. Listen to that one. He's like my sister watching. Well, you know what, it. Jordan? I liked it. Taste. I liked it. <laughs> Thank you, panel. <laughs> <laughs> It's been a very long time. I I got to say. Yeah, okay. But it's just so good. Like, considering it's based on a book by Truman Capote, you know, it's very different from In Cold Blood. Oh, definitely, um, it's, yeah. It's definitely become, like, an iconic, I guess, romantic comedy now. And, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just... Audrey Hepburn, of course, is just phenomenal. She's got all the charm and grace and quirkiness that you want in, a main, like, the main character and... She's so comfortable on screen that I just fall in love with her. So you can see why, like, her co-stars and the the characters and even audiences just fall in love with her. And her oh, facial definitely. expressions, her eyes, the close-ups. It's just, it's so engaging. She's just so perfect for this role that you want to follow her, even though, you know, her morals are a little <laughs> off. She is um, looking for a very eligible bachelor who has the most money. Like, that's how it start- <laughs> starts off. <laughs> as one does yeah it's kind of like a gold digger but you know you gotta get by (laughs) (laughs) oh no no like to be now to be fair like there was the 60s was a very different time for women and men in that dynamic so yeah obviously there was there was was much more of a hunt for just financial stability and not much else that was definitely a thing you know where they were looking for like she knows it and like that's what the whole conflict is is that when she does start having feelings for someone that is like a very not rich writer in the apartment below her that's the whole conflict because she doesn't want to fall in love with basically a pauper a poor person (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that's like the whole conflict yeah exactly like (laughs) oh i like him but i need money so he poor as hell yeah (laughs) (laughs) so it's just i don't know it's just such a cute little movie and it's just like so romantic the ending it's just henry mancini's score uh for those that don't know it's moon river which mm. is still Ooh. replayed all the time. <laughs> yeah and hepburn even plays the guitar herself in this movie oh. and sings a little a couple of verses i, she won, know she even, I think she even won the golden globe for this movie didn't she i believe so yeah 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 so here's here's a funny thing just think about this for a second Imagine Marilyn Monroe in that role. I don't think I could. No. Because she was originally no. It'd be a different movie. in that role. She was supposed to be that person. And then her drama coach was the one who yoinked her from the movie. And that's hmm. how Audrey Hepburn got the role. Her. Oh, that's it was, right. it, was literally, it was literally going to be a Marilyn Monroe vehicle movie. Because Truman Capote actually like envisioned Marilyn when he was writing it and yeah. everything like that. And um and then literally her like Marilyn Monroe's drama coach said no 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 playing a call girl that's gonna look terrible for you like we're playing for playing a bit of a gold digger that's not good for your image and yoinked her from the movie and then Audrey Hepburn was the that's replacement. funny and then they even get like you know Audrey Hepburn is very you know the brunette she's got I don't know more natural she has like a really iconic beauty. look in this yeah. movie like yeah. people mm-hmm. often imitate that sort of like. No, like like skinny black dress and like yeah. smoking and the hair up and like the lawn like elbow length gloves like yeah. Usually you see other movies or people parody doing a parody of it like at a costume party or something like that. Yeah, totally. I think the cigarette holder is pretty iconic as well. The big one. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
yeah the when I think of Audrey Hepburn that's what pops into my head yeah that's what I was gonna say like that's this is the movie you think of immediately all all you have to do also is yeah what no sorry I was gonna say all you have to do is just forget about Mickey Rooney's role in the movie and the movie's like pretty good I was getting to that (laughs) I was actually I was actually gonna ask you that I know yeah Yeah, so So, I'll I'll, I'll let Adrian I do like Blake Edwards as a director but he does sometimes push the boundaries a little too far. Or <laughs> um, no boundaries like, in that movie. Because no, like, he was married to Julie Andrews. And when she did Victor Victoria, she actually like damaged her vocal cords because she went too deep in her register. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Um, yeah, because she's playing like a, like a basically a girl and a boy, right? So, yeah. Like, he does push like his actors a lot, and he's also like a comedic director. So he thought at the time Mickey Rooney playing the Asian character would be a good idea. But he did Genius. admit, and it's even in like the deleted scenes of like Breakfast at Tiffany's that that's his biggest regret of his life, like keeping that in the movie. I mean, uh, and especially how it came yeah. off, you know, like it, like it yeah. wasn't even like it wasn't even. I think it, at the to time me, it, he was just, it didn't even. You know, Mickey yeah, Rooney yeah. was like funny guy. Yeah, and he's like, oh, you know, it'd be fun, like you know, a good like caricature, but obviously, it's just it doesn't hold up today. I mean, hasn't to, been, time has not been kind. <laughs> no, to be fair, this movie is, at least is from the 1960s. Aloha, that terrible movie that came out in like the 2010s. Oh, yes. Emma right. Stone plays a half, half Asian person of some. Right. I'm not sure. I think she's Asian half, half Hawaiian, she, I believe, or something. I think yeah. she's supposed to be like half. <laughs> Which is like neither. Half but or not, Aloha was 2015. Like so it was only five years ago. So there you go. Yeah. Um, There's so... a lot of movies like that have really stupid roles like that, and like we haven't gone away from it. Yeah. Okay, so... yeah, they can fix it in the remake. That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the opposite of Aloha. Goodbye. Oh like that's the sequel or something, you know. Oh my god. It means both. Aloha is hello and goodbye. Yes. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's my knowledge about this uh this movie. Uh, than, uh, yeah. Besides that, it's still a fantastic movie. Um her chemistry with George Pappard is great. And he's actually another actor that I feel like a lot of people don't know about. Um he was in the A team, he plays the Colonel. He's in a lot of, oh. lot of uh, war movies, hmm. like How the West Was Won. Um, but yeah, him and Audrey Hepburn just have a, like, a very natural chemistry. They you know, run around New York City together, and they have a great time. And you could just see them like falling in love. And then when the ending, it's like raining, and Henry Mancini's score is playing, and they're looking for a lost cat. And you're just like, oh my god, like all the emotions. So I'll, take, <laughs> I'll take scenes that Adriana has replayed for 200. <laughs> Adriana, Adriana, correct me if I'm wrong, because I might be confused again with another movie. But is there a scene where they're like wearing like one of them is wearing like a cat mask? Yeah, and like this is it. Okay, okay. I was they like like, shoplift them. I okay. I that's like the one scene for some odd reason that sticks out, even though there's a lot of like quote unquote iconic scenes in this movie. That one is one that always sticks in my memory because he's like peering (laughs) in through window. Is yes. like wearing the mask? Yeah. Yeah, this is, yeah, I know. It's like a little, like, weird montage scene. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's like when they're, like, gallivanting around the city together. Uh-huh. And they, they do, like, a bet, like, um, what is it? They see, like, 
they do new things that neither of them has done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they even go into Tiffany's, and of course, they both can't afford anything. Right. So he gets like <laughs> a ring from the Cracker Jack box, and he gets it engraved. <laughs> Tiffany's engraves it for free for them. So like, that's oh, the only that's thing they can cute. do. Yeah. So it's just really cute. So like, you don't have to have money to have breakfast at Tiffany's. And and see me. <laughs> right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah, what was the other movie? Forgot. Uh, sorry, I just, it's funny, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page right now, and I just thought it was funny that the cat's name in this movie is Orangey. That's like a weird fact about this movie. Oh, apparently, and, and apparently okay, there was, then. there's actually seven different cats that played the cat role. <laughs> yes, I mean, there's it, a lot it, of it stunts the for cat. these cats. <laughs> they got a stunt cat, they got a cat double, you know, they got a, they a got stand-in. A cat, got a cat stand-in. <laughs> got a... Um, the, the cat they got a cat that actually meows the cat that doesn't meow oh. <laughs> a lot. Oh it's a lot it's hard work <laughs> cat life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I also like that she never names the cat in the movie so it's just cat yeah it just says orangey <laughs> as cat <laughs> <laughs> mm. anyways anything else uh now i feel like revisiting this one it's been a long time for me i mean i hope you do i need to go like... see it <laughs> Yeah, I mean, don't I'll, even like the movie. Just watch like the final ten no, minutes. I'll, I'll be straight. I'll be straight. Like I watched this in university, and a lot of movies that I've watched again from university, I'm like, why did I not like that? So, um, I think I'll have to revisit this one. Yes. Also, since I might as well just stay on theme with Blake Edwards um, from 1979, I really like the movie Ten. And it stars Dudley Moore and Bo Derek, and also Julie Andrews in this one. So she actually is acting alongside uh, her husband, who's the director. And, oh. Okay, so <laughs> I know Jason is not a fan of this one, but I don't care because I love this movie. <laughs> I've never actually even heard of this movie, so yeah. See, uh, I wasn't the only one because she she um she told me about this movie. <laughs> Ten, you know, Bo Derek, you know. Oh, Derek! Yeah, and I'm Bo like, Derek and I'm like, a sex who, symbol because who of the, the hell movie. is Bo Derek? Nicole, who's Bo Derek? I have no idea. She's actually not uh, married to John Corbett. Oh, no, wait, no, wait, Sam, Sam, who's Bo Derek? I'm literally looking this person up. Okay, so you don't know either, Jordan? Who's Bo Derek? I'm also looking him up. Hey, Jordan, it's not him. It's a, it's a she. Okay, so this is this You're is my literally last this is literally what oh, I'm trying to say. The 80s Tarzan. No, no, Bo Derek's a woman. Oh, wait, she's sorry, she's in the 80s Tarzan. Let me reiterate that. Yeah, that would make sense. She'd probably play Jane. Yes, but now I know who she is, and that was like, and she produced that movie too. Yeah, so she was Adriana was trying to convince me that everybody knows who Bo Derek is, and then we end up watching Stranger Things, and doesn't David Harbour say, Well, she's not like a Bo Derek, but she's like, I'm like. Are you kidding? Your so, so I, 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 so I couldn't believe it. That was like the only reference in my life I've ever heard of Bo Derek. And it's right after she told me about it. Yeah, I mean, oh. she's very beautiful. I'm looking she's, at her right now. She's literally a model. Yeah. And she's a model. She's got like the beads with the beads on the end. She comes out of the water. She's literally oh, she a man's a... fantasy. I, I mean, she's I in a lot that. of like TV movies now. Might say she's the yeah. perfect 10. Ha, ha. 
Okay. Well, at least literally I didn't the, say it. That's literally the tagline for the movie. So. Don't don't strain yourself too hard on that one. <laughs> Anyways, continuing with the film. Okay. Yes. Okay. So about the film, since apparently nobody knows about it, it's about a forty-two-year-old <laughs> musician and writer um, of music who has this instant infatuation for a woman he sees on the street, who is Bo Derek. So it's basically. Another him stalking a woman. Crisis. No, it is not. <laughs> he's become he's like a famous composer, but he's become complacent. And he's just really cute and charming. Like it's it's Dudley Moore. He played the original Arthur. Mm-hmm. So he has like, you know, he plays a like he has a club foot in real life. He uses that to his okay. advantage to make it more comedy. Yeah, now you feel bad. And... I, no, I don't. I really don't. <laughs> and you should. Is just... her is what she's telling you. No, yeah, exactly. I know. I know. <laughs> anyway, so his girlfriend is um, Julie Andrews, and I actually love Julie Andrews in this role. So, you know, we always see her as you know the saint, Mary Poppins, like Mary Poppins. <laughs> you know, the perfect nanny, the, uh, the sister. Yeah, a lot of appearances. <laughs> And this one, she's just very, like, she's an independent woman. She's in the theater world. She's very independent. She's sassy. She's very feminine and, like, bold. And I, it's a very different role for Julie Andrews. I, at first, I didn't know it was her. She has her short hair. She wears, like, really cool outfits, more hippie, laid-back style for her. So I, I just think it's a very different role. Kind of gets her out of that typecast, goody-goody uh, mm-hmm. girl. And, uh... So he's happy with her until, I guess he's having like a midlife crisis and he sees this like vision on the street, Bo Derek, and he becomes like obsessed with her. So he decides he's going to go like on holiday to where she's on vacation. And, you know, it's just a bunch of like funny instances that happen. Um, so I just think it's a really quirky movie and I just, I just really like it. But if you don't like Blake Edwards' humor, maybe this movie's not for you, but I think it's worth a shot. And it's also scored by Henry Mancini, and it has a great scene uh, where they play the classic song Bolero. And, oh, okay. Um, so they how, does that that. Song, how does that song go again? It's instrumental. Oh, okay. So I might, you know, my cello voice is not working today. It's <laughs> <laughs> fine. I was just trying to, I was just trying to, like I did yeah. earlier. You can look up Bolero song. Okay. Yeah. That's a famous song, but uh, yeah. Song anyway, <laughs> I think it's good. I think it handles like how you need to grow up, you know, in your life. And he has to, he has an epiphany of what he needs to do, and I just like how it ends. That not always, you know, what you think is a ten is not always be a ten. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's good life. I agree. Yeah. yeah, awesome. Uh, I will definitely have to check that out because yeah. I, I honestly, I will be completely honest. I was not familiar with Bo Derek or this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I am not alone. Okay. I am the majority. This is <laughs> no, no. And I'm looking. She has a she very was... eclectic career. She and, um, and she it even says that she was produced. The 70s, right. It even says that she produced porn. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for that lie. information. Some, there are actually there something are I can watch. <laughs> <laughs> There's some voyeur scenes in Ten that are a little pornographic. Oh, very. Oh, there. A little, yeah. They're pretty. They're 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 Jimmy Stewart from Rear Window with like a lot more nudity. 
basically. Oh, wow. I fully nude, but... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not a movie for me, then. <laughs> you could just skip those parts. That's very oh, just... Quick. Whatever. <laughs> you know they're humming. He literally yeah, gets out his binoculars. Yeah, like, okay, yeah. Then, yeah, let's study you up you know, Here's something interesting that I read about for this for 10. Apparently, this is one of the first movies that actually shot scenes twice, knowing that it was going to be broadcast on TV. They actually had the scenes censored versions of scenes ready to go which is interesting oh i didn't know that yeah so apparently like because you know since broadcast tv was getting bigger and bigger in like you know 70s and stuff and then and then you know they started making deals to put movies to broadcast on tv so apparently for this movie they like would like censored version see that or... makes a lot of sense because i don't remember the nude scenes when i was a kid because i watched yep. it when i was like 12 yep you poor child watching the nickelodeon version of 10 no, just... I mean, I feel robbed now. Wow. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. What? You have the real one on VHS, right? I have it on DVD too. DVD as well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anything else for these two, Adriana? No. Okay. I think awesome. they, um, they I think I'm both, ready. I think I'm ready. They're both yeah. ten out of ten. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's move on. Uh, who's next? We could, you know, rock, paper, scissors it for between you and me and Nicole, but like we're on the internet, so never mind. I'll go. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say we might be here all night. Just say, just, <laughs> yeah, just say you win. You'll, she won't know. She won't know exactly. what they, the hell you put out there. I'll just be like, what? It, be like, what did you pick? You're like, oh, exactly. Paper. I'm what the did you exact pick? Opposite. I'm the exact opposite of whatever you picked. Yeah. Oh, oh scissors. Oh, I did rock. Oh, you know that's strat. Darn. <laughs> You need Zoom video. Anyway. <laughs> so for those you haven't figured out I love Westerns, grew up watching them. So I decided to pick the Western that's in between two other Westerns else that have John Wayne in it. Um, <laughs> going with El Dorado. Okay, Rio Lobo and Rio Bravo are both very similar. It's like the middle between those two movies. Uh, okay. I, I love Rio Bravo. Yeah. Great movie. Yeah, Rio Bravo is really good. That would be the original. This one could technically be considered a remake, as well okay. as uh, Rio Lobo, which I like as well. So the premise of this movie is a gunslinger for hire, aka John Wayne, with a fast right hand, Old Thorn, rides into a dusty town called El Dorado, nothing to do with the city of gold, who decides to work for a ruthless landowner. Bard Jason, who basically is trying to steal water from another ranch. So, but this character that's played by Jordan Wayne Thorne, he doesn't want to go up against his friend who's a rival, who also happens to be the alcoholic sharpshooter of a sheriff. So he leaves the town. (laughs) It's really, it's pretty good. Like, there's a whole feud between it because, um, Thorin accidentally killed one of the kids who basically sent out to make sure that he doesn't come into the uh, ranch. The kid falls asleep, wakes up wildly when he hears the horse as John Wayne's trying to leave, and ends up shooting, doesn't know where he's shooting, and Wayne ends up shooting him back and killing him because the doctor's not skilled enough to take out the bullet. Damn. So he leaves the town and a greenhorn, young greenhorn comes in to say, hey, everything's going wrong. You need to get back to the city and protect everybody. In this scene, you have the best entertaining moment of John Wayne speaking Spanish. 
<laughs> he's got the grammar right. He's got the words right. But that damn accent. It's a self clarity. Yeah, he basically leaves Texas and goes into Mexico and is just like, I'm staying over here while all this goes down. But Mississippi's like, your friend, he's in trouble, he's going to get killed, you need to come back and fix things. So he goes back, but the um, sheriff, being an alcoholic, is completely, utterly out of it. Completely out of it. Drunk off his mind. Hmm. He was played by uh, Eve, by Robert Mitchell. Oh, yeah. Oh. He was old yeah. over that, yeah. Yeah. It's a great scene as they try to, like, they knock him out a couple of times, give him, like, a homemade remedy, and it's just hilarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a funny movie. It's great. It doesn't fall into many of the tropes. The scene in which they're in Mexico is actually surprisingly, compared to a lot of other movies time period, super respectful of the Mexicans in the area. You have John Wayne to them in Spanish while one of the guys is basically like saying like yo get me this in english and he's like no 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 give him this and she he says it in spanish which was i found very interesting <laughs> so i was like hey cool go john wayne but that kind of makes sense considering like all of his wives were latina <laughs> i mean all three of them <laughs> he got one thing right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all of them interesting interesting yeah. surprised you didn't pick um this this may be your next pick. I don't know. The uh, good, bad, and the ugly. No, I yeah, but that movie, but it's not like necessarily. I'm saying my favorite. Like what you that's fair, on, anyways. But at least eight, I, I believe, like, isn't it? Finding out the ones that we haven't seen. No, that's no, right. and, and, I, Bravo too. and I agree with that. But they're I both guess. the same year. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow! Weird. There you go. Oh wow! Yeah. Well, like westerns were popping out like nobody's business. Yeah. And also, oh, the spaghetti sure. westerns are very different from westerns. Yeah, not my favorite. But yeah, it was a really funny, entertaining movie. If you go watch the one that ends up in the 70s, Rio Lobo, also really good. There's a lot of jokes about a um, man who's a mixed Mexican and Frenchman, and John Wayne through the entire movie calls him Frenchie. And then he's like, Why do you always call me Frenchie? Like, when you're entertaining the woman, what side are you going? You're French or you're Mexican side? Oh my god. <laughs> when you're going after women. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. The way to, that's a good way to get around censorship, I guess, at the time. Yeah. We'll go in the French, the Mexican way. Oh my god. Oh, my god. The Mexican way. oh yeah, boy. That one's good. Um, so, my next movie is Star Wars. Oh, well. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay, never mind. He went for the main. I, I really would say hey, so much for Adriana's <laughs> argument there. But for, uh, you know, think of the ones that people really don't know about. You know, this little movie called Star Wars. So my initial one was to say Rio Lobo next, but the thing is, it's so close to El Dorado that there's no point. I would say the reason El Dorado stuck out more to me is because I've seen it in 35mm color. So that one sticks out more in my mind, but I watched Rio Lobo's kids, and I'm not going to pick two westerns in one thing. You guys will, like, typecast me. Although I'm going with a space western. Yeah. So, <laughs> so much space western inspired by Samurai Western. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I watched recently. Good. Mm-hmm. We talked about the original version of it so many times at this point. Everyone say the name. What is Star Wars based off of? Fortress. 
<laughs> Anyways, I don't know. Like it's 1970s. We've talked about some of the other ones. I would say it has to be discussed if we're talking about deep diving into the 70s because literally, how much of a following does it have? It's point of like there is an entire group of people who are now redubbing indigenous languages as well. One of the first um, ver- redone versions of Star Wars is actually in the, I believe, um, Navajo language, if I remember correctly. That oh, that's cool. Language. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's definitely a difficult classic. It's a great film. No matter which version you watch, I'm not a version snob. You can like the theatrical, you can like the digital remastered, picture choose, all great movies. People can't find the original anymore, so they have to like the new Actually, one. you can find the entire original. Someone spent, uh, I think it was three years, taking every single scene of the um, original cut and from film and putting it online. So it is around Go if you want to go hunting for it. But I'm saying there's no official version to either buy or stream or anything. I think is yeah. silly. It keeps so changing. Because I, I, I guarantee if they said original cut of Star Wars, though, do you know how many people would buy that? Like, yeah. Instantly, oh, yeah, totally. No matter how much it is. They, that's, that's a I gold mark. The two buy, that I have at home is I have the original... Um, digitally remasters on VHS in my house and I also have it on Blu-ray as well. I, I so what's really or funny DVD. is when I first saw Star Wars, I, I saw it on VHS. Yeah. And I got to see the original version. I was one of the rare people in the nineties actually got to see the original version because I had an you know So before nineteen ninety six? Right before <laughs> right before that I had an older version of it. And so then when I watched it again, I was like, oh Okay, so these are all the new scenes, but then that became sort of the regular for everybody to see. Yeah. It's really interesting watching the regular effects that mesh well with the rest of the movie. Then you watch, not necessarily the first Star Wars, but when you watch Return of the Jedi and there's all the CGI people at Jabba's Palace, and it's like, <laughs> oh, this is so bad. Like, this is so. I actually so really awkward. liked it. Um, it's, all, it's, it's just the- awkward, though, because it doesn't fit with the rest of the movie. That's all. Yeah. I think, and, and well, also since I'd seen on... the original, since I'd seen yeah. the original, I, I I'm thinking, oh, this looks so weird compared to the original because the creatures that are CGI'd were legitimate puppet people in the original one, mm-hmm. like people in costume. So yeah. now I'm like just watching them be a, turned into a CGI person. I'm like, this is I so weird. Interesting thing, watching it on VHS versus watching it on DVD. The redone, it doesn't have that same ridiculous CGI feel on the VHS version because there's still so much graininess to it. But I will definitely give you that in the like 1080p 4K version. I'm just like, yo, that that's a little too much. But I find that with <laughs> yeah. a lot of movies that when they redo it and make it all fancy and yeah, they put it yeah. out in 4K. Same thing with Lord of the Rings. It doesn't work. You need to keep that gr- graininess in it. Exactly. Yeah. I remember when there was the whole fuss over, oh my god, they're shooting the Hobbit in like I think it was 60 FPS something. Yes. And and they tested the footage and it looked like a soap opera that you'd see on television to everybody. Because <laughs> yeah. you know, that's, how, that's how they shoot it. They shoot it with the upped frames and yeah. that's how it looked to people and people just like, this doesn't feel like a movie. So like yeah. there has to be that that's sort of thing. It's also a fantasy, right? So exactly. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's very bizarre watching this like super high budget weird special effects movies. And um and and we gotta we we gotta tell gotta let um Ang Lee know that listen 120 frames isn't the way to shoot things. Can we tell him? Oh please, we gotta tell, God, we, no. we, we, we've got to tell him to stop. 
I've seen Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk in 120 frames, and it was an interesting movie. It was a mixed bag. Very mm-hmm. weird to watch 120 frames. And he did his newest movie, Gemini Man, with Will Smith in 120 frames. Work. You gotta tell him. You gotta tell him to stop. stop yeah. Good director. Back. 120 frames works good for video games. It does not work good for television, especially considering we're so used to seeing stuff at 60 frames or lower. Yeah. Don't worry. I'm sure James Cameron's Avatar 2 will be like in 240 frames or something. <laughs> He's gone. Oh my god. Like 8K. I'm like 8K. 30... No, we're already at 8K. We need to go back further out. 5D. There we go. 5D. Back. Yeah, basically, the Navi comes and gives you a lap dance. TV, it's weird. 8K just doesn't, it feel. it makes me, my stomach, like, just hit the edge. Yeah, and the people move weird in the 8K, like, it's too slow, too, I don't know, too fast, I don't know. I think it's a mix between 8K and that 120 um, frames per second, just... I just think of Sarah's no. TV. Just wasn't Sarah's TV in the in, in her old house like the, something like that. It was that? a Shark Four um, thing. It had the yellow pigment into it, and that's when we watched um, Lord of the Rings, and it just looked wrong. Yeah, Ew. yeah, yeah. Shark <laughs> had for that moment that TV that had um, not just some of the prim- it had four color rods in it instead of just the three, so it just made things oh. look bad. I know their intention was to make things look great. It looked like shit. Here's the Anyways. issue. Here's the issue. Like, people want that aesthetic distance. Like, they don't want to watch when they're going to see a fantasy. They don't want to necessarily watch how I see with my eyes in real life. Like, there's that yeah. weird disconnect that we have when we go to the movies where something will look and feel like a movie, whether it's digital, whether it's film. We'll, we'll just get that it's a movie. Yeah. When, we're, when we're watching something and however the image is done, it looks like for real or you know something that throws us it throws you out of the movie there needs to mm-hmm. be a there needs to be a, like there has to be an understanding with that sure maybe we'll get to 120 frames one day where it's like comfortable but for mm-hmm. how the eye works now with digital yeah. and film and everything it's 24 for film sometimes 30 for digital and that's that's sort of the limit that we're reaching right now where we're sort of comfortable with a lot of stuff yeah. and there's, there's some cool experimentation going on and that's that's good experimentation is good but like 120 frames, Angley. Gotta like we don't need that many frames, like because it's more than I don't know. I feel like it's more than my eye can see regularly. Yeah. So, well, also adding to that, like a lot of the televisions and screens that we'll see later, like to watch it, don't have that capability. So then it looks weird when you start playing it on a um, screen that cannot keep up with that type of frame rate. Right. It's it's yeah. very strange. Like, it's very four K starting to get kind of mainstream for things like sports and stuff, but like yeah. uh it's for me it's not quite there. I don't have a four K TV personally, I'm still good with my ADP. Oh yeah, I'm at seven twenty on my TV in my room and it's like I'm good with that. I can't I don't have the ability to care about going much higher at this point. Okay. It's not Okay, let's let's get back on track here. Um, (laughs) What are we even talking about now? Yeah, (laughs) before we turn into a TV podcast. This is about films, right? Like in the sense of we were coming because at that time Star Wars did do a lot of new things. Yes, in the sense of using tiny models in order to show this, and that's where when he had the technology when he redid it digitally, there is that group of people who are like, 
this isn't right. This isn't the time period. And he took what he could do then when he got a chance to redo it and make it a digital masterpiece, the things that he wanted to do that he couldn't do in the 70s. He could do that in the 90s. So that's why he brought things further afield. And it did alienate some people. There is some weird things when you see um, Han Solo kind of look weird as he stepped over Jabba the Hutt's tail because... Yeah, I saw that, yeah. Because it's because they, they had to fix it because initially it was just a man who was standing there. He didn't have a tail, so he could walk around this man right. who was being playing Jabba the Hutt. So that was kind of interesting, though, how as time progresses, they've changed the movie. Even most recently, they changed it. Again, but they both shot at the exact same time instead of Han shooting first or, oh, what's his name? Greedo. Greedo shooting first. You choose that. Oh, uh, Han Solo. <laughs> yeah so like there's really cool things like but it definitely has such a huge impact star wars from this one tiny movie with yeah the biggest actor they had in it was uh was harrison ford everyone else was new like their second movie for carrie fisher i don't even know what movie it was for um mark hamill mark hamill definitely one of it, his first at least yeah one of his first and just like how much impact this tiny movie had, the fact that there's like a huge universe, a huge amount of love it and nerds, its impact of how it's being used in an indigenous community to bolster their language. And now more indigenous are doing that and they're being allowed to do that. They haven't been stopped by uh, Disney yet. Don't do it, Disney. Don't be an asshole. <laughs> You're sitting on colonial soil so deal with it <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, also yeah. and also this is a lesson to people out there if you're making your own movie keep your merchandising rights because you can make a billion dollars just like that instead of the studio all about the merch i still love the 20th century fox I was like yeah sure have the merchandising because they thought it was going to be a flop really nope. did <laughs> oh. and it wasn't and it wasn't they're just sitting there like, oh, god now we we, you know, if only if only we had the rights we wouldn't have been bought by disney no well they did end up buying, he did get like what six billion dollars for that sale oh yeah god god knows how much he got when he sold to <laughs> disney a lot yeah. yeah yeah anyway then, so yeah it's crazy those are good ones those are some good ones mm-hmm. or star wars is one of my favorites too very yeah. George Lucas, even no, in, even even in the really? shitty sequels, even in the <laughs> shitty even in the shitty sequels, he's really good at world building. He really is. Yeah, I think like you can at least see the connection between the originals and the prequels. I liked one of the from the most recent series, but the other ones are just like, yeah, I'm gonna pass. <laughs> we all know we can all agree, Star Wars fan or not Star Wars fan, the last it was bad. For another podcast, though, we can move on. Yeah, <laughs> that will open up a whole other can of worms. We'll have just a Star Wars episode one later. You're not Star Wars much. versus Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be a good one. Oh, that'd be like my favorite podcast. Oh, we, oh my god, get ready for ten hours. 
<laughs> get ready get ready out there folks star trek versus star wars like literally that's what, that's what they're both good for different reasons to next exactly week. i will agree with you that with nicole yeah, go before you like reasons. let me and jason go off on a tangent so let's not do a 10 hour star, star trek <laughs> thing please yeah, watch the show it's 26 hours a season just go do that I'm so even shorter during, than his even during quarantine. That's still a hard pass. Eh, it's only a okay. day and two hours. You could do it. Uh, <sighs> do I want to? <laughs> yeah, that's what it boils down to. On, on the other hand, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the whole go seriously move before we start like diverging. Go, go, go. Um, okay. Um. So. Uh, so for my pit, um, so for my 1960s movie, I chose The Great Escape. Oh, um, so uh, it's from I gave that up to her. <laughs> 1963. <laughs> from 1963, it's directed by John Sturgis, and Woo! it's one of my absolute favorite movies ever. Um, so I have nothing but good memories for this movie. It's it's a long one. It's like it's up there with like Lawrence of Arabia going on for hours. Oh, um, Lawrence of Arabia! <laughs> I know. It just it, it, it just lies by for me. Um, yeah. And so basically, if you haven't seen this movie, it takes place during World War Two, and it looks at a bunch of American and British soldiers that are in a prisoner camp in Germany. And basically, uh, their escapades as they try many, many times uh, to escape. And they're basically famous, or the situation is famous because they managed to dig tunnels uh, to get out of the prisoner of war camp. Um, and it failed several times, and they got thrown back in prison. And there's like a lot of different ways. And these. Mm-hmm. Uh, soldiers are based off of actual soldiers in real life. So some of them are fictionalized. So like someone like Steve McQueen's character was never an actual person. But he was kind of like a combination of a couple soldiers that were in the camp yeah. that acted a lot like uh, Hiltz does. And, the only thing um, that they mess up with it is that some of the nationalities are changed to be either American or British when they're actually Eastern Europeans or Norwegians or Finns. That's yes. the one thing that I do change. Yes, um, I and probably because like I guess they thought like Americans and British were the most quote unquote relatable. Oh, well, um, and also they don't like to admit that the RAF aces were all Brit, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's basically let's at these men as they try to escape, and it has like a pretty kind of I guess iconic cast. So it says. Steve McQueen, uh, James Gardner, Richard Attenborough, David McCullum, and Charles Ronson, just to name a few of them. Um, but it's a it, it's a pretty big cast uh, yeah. of actors, and it has a lot of iconic, I guess, scenes that are kind of now parodied. Um, so, like, Steve McQueen is kind of known for being a guy in real life who was obsessed with cars and obsessed with bikes. Um, and he has this really sort of this amazing scene where he's being chased through the countryside by German soldiers on a motorcycle. And he has this scene where he jumps over several sort of lines of barbed wire and he almost, almost makes it out of the country. And he just barely, uh, he like uh, fails at the last second and like, he's just kind of reaching to like escape and he doesn't make it. 
Mm-hmm. And so but good. like <laughs> and like it's just such a, an amazing scene. And unfortunately, Steve McQueen didn't do the job, but apparently he argued with uh, Sturgis about it. So he really wanted to do those jumps. And Sturgis was like, no, no, you can't do those because, you know, you're or one of our lead actors. If you die, like, we don't We're have a screwed. movie. And he, but he, so he did the first, uh, he did the first two. He doesn't do the, the last big one, um, but he does the first two jumps in, in those scenes. Hmm. Um, That's still and, pretty impressive. Yeah, and he, like, was really gunning to do the last one and the director didn't want him to do it. <laughs> He's like, um, no, don't do it. He's like, please He's don't die. Of, it's almost like a uh, Tom Cruise thing. Like, I'll do all my stunts. Please mm-hmm. don't do all your stunts. Mm-hmm. But I mean, even, like, the safety back then was like nothing like it is now. So I can exactly. understand. Yeah, 60s. Yeah. Um, so I mean, yeah. His chances were... <laughs> were... Were not good if he didn't yeah. get it. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I guess another standout character to me in this one is uh, Charles Bronson's character. Yes. Yes. Uh, so he also, plays like, the why tunnel. Why would he really king? attractive then? Oh my god, Bronson! Bronson, my dad always is really. Bronson. Yeah. Like... Oh yeah, my dad too. Yeah. <laughs> my grandmother's just like I forgot about that. Like he's just like I always I can picture him clearly in my mind as he's like in that tight green like muscle top mm-hmm. and he's like yeah. <laughs> Jordan, I mean, Jordan, Jordan, we got to come up with some people here. Come on, um, let's let, uh, think of some people. Guess what? Jordan. There's like no women in this movie. So. Yeah, there is no woman. Too bad boy. I know, Too I know, bad. No, I know. I know there isn't. Um, but he also plays a really diverse character because Bronson's character. So he's called the Tunnel King, and he's basically like the principal soldier that's like doing these um. Like is digging the tunnels, and he actually like goes through a journey of dealing with uh, PTSD because one of the tunnels collapses on him. So he is like yeah. a really interesting character uh, character arc throughout it. And this movie isn't all doom and gloom. It actually has a lot of humor in it. Yeah, um, the potatoes. So Sam knows that one of my favorite scenes in this is that they're trying to get the soldiers drunk. And they basically make vodka out of potatoes. And it's the way to do it properly. <laughs> and like undistilled uh, vodka is like obviously incredibly powerful. So they have this scene where they're just taste testing. And like they're just like, they're like, wow, wow. And the last guy's like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. um, I totally made the mistake of watching this during the quarantine. And my grandparents are like quarantined. They're not allowed to leave this statement that I have made. But now, every time my grandfather is like, mm, it's our patriotic duty to escape. We have to go against you. We're going to escape. And I'm just like, shit. Oh my God. <laughs> and then you're going to go to the shed and they have like vodka that they've made from potatoes. So I wouldn't be surprised. And like, yeah. <laughs> Um, and yeah, and like, I guess also, I think also like another reason why I really liked Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is that they kind of do that crossover scene with it. And they have oh, DiCaprio. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they have DiCaprio playing Steve McQueen's character and they kind of split. Well, they, the movie itself is like the movie itself. They just splice him into Steve McQueen's role for his quote unquote ad- audition for it. And like as a <laughs> lifelong lover of of the great escape i was just i was rolling i thought this i'm like this is great this is exactly what i want to see so Mm -hmm. like um 
that sort of like taking and like putting or bringing this great piece of film history into the into the modern, modern age. I really yeah. enjoy that. Yeah, and it's so, really good deep, like story to know about because it's real and the end of it is that war that they committed where they kill uh, prisoners of war was like a yes. huge thing that you don't do that. Mm-hmm. That's like one of the biggest things and. Is was it? Isn't that the? Isn't that the Geneva Convention rules? It's part of the G- Geneva Convention, but that's also something that's been longstanding in, in general culture for a long time. You, you just don't kill off your prisoners. Makes sense. Sort of the un- sort of the un- one of the unspoken rules of the world, you know. Yeah. So like yeah. the fact that they did that in real life, and then this story brings that mm-hmm. home, and the fact that the commandant came out at the end, going like, "Yeah, he knows what happened." just like not okay yeah definitely yeah. as he's being taken to be killed anyway um so yeah um so this movie uh means a lot to me um and it's definitely like i feel like um, modern movies are often trying to recreate obviously elements of this movie but they're also trying to create these sort of these big casts they're always looking for that ensemble cast well when i think of an ensemble cast this is like to me the true epitome of an an ensemble cast yeah yeah like every actor there is like worth their grain of salt every one of them has been in one if not more than one great movie Mm -hmm. and like they're Mm -hmm. all there and they all have their moment to shine yeah that's what i like they all have like their role yeah Mm mm-hmm um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. How do you guys feel about the movie? Yeah, it's also like amazing. And yeah. doesn't Chicken Love Run it. also yes. like yes, yeah, it, it, it has, it has yeah. the bike scene. Yeah, has the bike yeah, scene. Yeah, and I then believe. like you yeah. know they're oh, getting chicken over run. the fence, and you got like the British colonel <laughs> yeah. who's in charge of all the chickens, and yeah, I don't oh, know. Gosh, I just yeah. think that was. But it's oh, very, it's very and the plane scene is yeah. in the plane too. Yeah. I thought that also, was a good that way scene for breaks my heart every it. single time. I know. Also, also like the soundtrack in this movie is just really fantastic. Good. Like the theme music. It's so memorable. And it's uh-huh. like lighthearted. Yeah. So it's not like depressing when you think about it. No. Yeah. no. Um, but yeah, anybody else on this one? Uh, actually, Nicole, you were the one who showed me this movie for the first time. I remember I that. Remember. <gasps> yeah, I brought it over to your house and we watched it one afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> Good. So... I, I wasn't expecting it to be that long, but it didn't feel like that full the full runtime. Uh-huh. It was really good. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Yes, yeah, Sam, did we see this? Did I see this? with? Did you see this before we knew each other? Yeah, like I had seen bits and pieces of it i hadn't sat through the entire thing uh-huh. that was the first time i sat with it. the entire thing was with, with you but like i have very good memories of the still scene from like when i was 10 yeah or younger yeah. something like that the still scene i remember because it has a lot of the fa- my grandparents favorite actors in it so mm-hmm. i have seen it multiple times right <laughs> like, right my grandfather uh, like half the characters in it go on to be in like tv shows later definitely yeah. yeah yeah my papa was in the raf too so i think i watched it with him for the first time on pbs uh-huh. and uh oh, just, gotta love pbs yeah i was like those are the good old days on sunday nights we watch movies oh that's cute and, yeah it's just such a nice little memory yeah, yeah um james so, gardner I- that's what i was thinking of <laughs> 
um oh yeah i watched rockford files after (laughs) thank you someone else who knows what that is (laughs) oh my god that's funny um but yeah what was your 70s one (laughs) um so my 70s one so i picked one that was just on the cusp of going into the 80s um, so I picked Alien from 1979. Oh, yeah. why am I not surprised? Um, <laughs> We've so... all picked in 1979. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I picked in 1977. It was a good year. <laughs> okay. Um, so directed by Ridley Scott, of course. Nice. Um, and starring Sigourney Weaver, um, John Hurt, yes. the late and great Harry Dean Stanton, um, and Ian Holm as well. Yeah, it's so, another good ensemble. Yes, so this is another good ensemble movie. Oh, and no shouts out to HR Guider. So HR Guider is the, the guy that actually designed the Xenomorph and did all the art for him. So yeah, he's the sure. one that's kind of oh, yeah. r- responsible for creating this sort of the iconic alien figure when you think of this movie. He's the one that was doing the artwork and kind of creating the verse around it. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I, I, I those of you who who know me so all you guys know that um i'm a big fan of this franchise and um movies with you makes me have nightmares and so i was actually introduced to the movie probably far too young for my own good um so i remember i have very distinct memories of this because we used to have a recliner in the family room when i was very little and my dad, this is one of my dad's favorite movies, too. So, again, a lot of my movie influence comes from him. Um, but I watched it with him, and I remember that my mom was telling him not to let me watch it because my sister's terrible with horror movies. Like, <laughs> she's, like, traumatized by, like, Freddy and Jason and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so my mom assumed that I was going to be the same way, uh, which she was wrong. Um, <laughs> and so I remember that... Um, my dad is like, it's it's fine. Like, just let her watch it. Like, it's okay. And he, um, I remember that, like, I was hiding behind the recliner in the family room. So sort of, like, half watching and half, like, afraid of, like, the, the xenomorph. And <laughs> and then, like, my dad is like, it's fine. It's fine. And then I remember, let's so say, he's like, come watch. So, like, I sat on the couch and I watched it with him. And my dad's golden rule of thumb. And this is why horror movies, I can just kind of chill out and watch a horror movie is because when I was little and I started watching horror movies, he actually would just go, it's just ketchup, or he would go, it's just chocolate sauce. (laughs) And I always kept that in the back of my mind, so I was never actually scared, scared of horror movies. So we were watching this, and I'm like, I'm like, you know, hiding like five at the time. (laughs) And then he goes, and he goes, don't worry, he's like, they don't exist. And he goes, quiet, and he goes, on Earth? And it's like, (laughs) (laughs) oh my god! Amazing, that's amazing. That's great. That's that's like the that's like the poster tagline for the sequel. Exactly. (laughs) Yep. So I was like, oh my god! Like, like five year old me was just watching this movie, like scared out of my mind. But I actually am like super fond of of this franchise in general. Um, so if you haven't seen this, basically it's a bunch of astronauts and they're called out to a, a base in space that they're getting kind of like a distress signal from. And um, 
they're basically while they're there they find a colony of alien aids uh, that infect people um uh through the uh, not so helpful i guess not so helpful help of their android companion uh ash who's played by ian home and he does a fantastic job there's um, a spoiler so... that he is an android just so yes yeah so spoiler. It's, it's, it's because it's like you know he's it's sort he sort of hides as a human the majority of the movie then it's sort of revealed that he's actually which i actually that was cool it actually turns the dynamic back on its on the humans themselves it's not just alien bad run away from alien they end exactly. up sort of turning on each other which is why it's so interesting and i also mm-hmm. like that the main character who has sort of come out of the franchise wasn't a main character at all in the first movie which is yes yes yeah, yeah. so sigourney weaver is not kind of like in the rest of the franchise she kind of becomes a rough and tumble leader and like rescues people and like charges headlong into danger but in the first one she's kind of like a secondary character and like she's kind of like this rogue survivor ultimately in the end of the, of the movie um but a cool fact about this movie is so the aliens are kind of known i guess in the horror verse for being able to infect human bodies and they kind of burst out their chest bursters when they when they're like i guess uh mature mm. and um so ridley scott apparently did not tell the actors <laughs> yep. um when he what he had planned so there's a scene where one of the people on the ship is infected with the alien that's going to come out of him and they all have the him pinned down on the table and like trying to figure out what's wrong with him and the alien if you haven't seen the franchise bursts through his chest and none of the actors knew that was going to happen. So there's like juices flying everywhere, yep. and the alien yep. comes out of the guy's chest. And like, so their reactions are genuine because nobody knew that was going to happen. And so Ridley Scott, aka okay, right? Ridley Scott, was an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> he got like the most genuine reaction, and they look like fucking terrified it still looks so freaky to this day because the practical effects on it are nuts they're just so yeah, good Cole has made me watch many of these movies i yeah i <laughs> yeah i would actually I mean, i'm as to say that ridley i prefer when ridley scott made space movies or movies that he makes on earth um because like i don't really like his movies that he does when when they're on Earth, I, I actually majorly like his space movies. You like movies that are going to traumatize me. And hey. yet I keep going to see them with you. Hey, The Martian <laughs> is not traumatizing. That's also his. Adriana says the okay. same thing about when yeah. I recommend movies to her sometimes, so you're not alone, Sam. <laughs> right, yeah. I will give you that. I do like the Martian. I didn't know that was Ridley Scott's. Well, yeah, that's Ridley Scott's well. um, Yeah. How did you lure me to go see Alien Covenant? Oh, right. Michael Fassbender. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but I don't know, how do you guys feel about this movie and kind of this franchise? Oh, I, lo- I love the first movie. I love the first movie. There's a jump scare that always gets me um, in the beginning. Like, it's around, I think, the, the, at the end of the first act of the movie. It's where they're in the tubes. The guys mm-hmm. in the tube with the flamethrower. Yeah. For the alien. Oh my god, I always know it's coming. I know exactly when it's going to happen. And as soon as he, there's, it's that scene where he turns around and the alien like, bah, just like appears. It's a total jump scare. And, <laughs> yeah. and, it, and, it, and it just, it just make, it just jumps me out of my seat. I know it's coming every time. I've seen this movie so many times and it gets me every goddamn time. But what it is about <laughs> it, it's, I think, I think it's the framing and just the timing of it. Where, uh-huh. um, 
he turns around and he's the whole frame and then all of a sudden it's 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 a flash cut to the alien invading the frame like for the blah, he just does like he you know jumps out of from behind and uh it's just oh it gets me every time it's me every time yeah definitely yeah, I also really like this movie i also like how it's it's very different from um of the franchise and i like how the rest of the franchise wanted to be different second movie is more of um a really great just a great action movie mm-hmm. with some great characters mm-hmm. versus a claustrophobic thriller that i think the first movie is and then and then obviously the third movie in my opinion isn't good but that's because fincher got fired four times doing it so it's it's just not going to be a good movie when you're swapping directors nonstop. Oh, he, yeah. he he doesn't even like it. He wants it taken off his repertoire. No, he, he he said he hates it. He said he said I obviously my name has to be on it for legal reasons and all that stuff. But he said he got fired from it like multiple times, and he said that's the last time I sort of have, you know, don't have control over some stuff that I want. And then he went and made Seven and proved to everybody he's a great director. So. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I do like that movie. Seven. And uh, he, he did the game. The game's a weird one. And then, anyways, that, that, that'll be a. We'll do a Fincher podcast another time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I'm literally writing all these ideas down. Just remember, I have a book of them, so we're gonna have to get through all these. I'm saying Fincher. <laughs> all I'm saying for a Fincher podcast, that's a good idea. Seven Fight Club. Uh, what else is there? Benjamin Curious Button. Case, Benjamin Button. <laughs> Gone Girl. Mindhunter. Okay, 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 okay. It's already written oh, down. God. It will <laughs> happen. <laughs> and Benjamin Button too. You said that. I did say mm-hmm. that. I did say that. Oh, um, but yeah. Um, so I I really like this one. Um, I I I'm also a big fan of the sequel as well, Aliens. Um, and... <laughs> why? It's a great one. Why not? Out. I like. Why not? That one's that was, great. Uh, that was not okay. as scary the as the first one. The first one is freaky. Self is me permanently with those movies, but I watch them. I'm a nice friend. It's okay. <laughs> you just have to remember. They're not here on Earth. They're not. Yeah. They haven't arrived yet. Yeah, yeah. We still have time. See, Sam, the, seriously, Sam, the more of these you watch, I find you build up a bit of an immunity to them. Not that they're bad mm-hmm. movies or anything, but I feel like the more you watch of them, the more you could sort of predict. I've, I've seen so many of them, like of these you know, types of action movies, horror movies. That, you just got to get, get past the trauma. Yeah. 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 Get traumatized, and then it's there forever. <laughs> us, okay. and yeah. then and then you're good. You're I can watch all the most gory, just horror films. Suspense and tension, so suspension and tension are the things that really make me scream. Because I I hate jump scares because I really jump at stuff. I'm a little bit of a jumpy guy when it comes to horror yes. movies. But 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 I but I find it really cheap, and a lot of times it's very good to get like a oh that was a good jump scare. Very rarely I'm just like oh that's so dumb. I, they, they just did that for a cheap I really like suspense and tension when it starts the fear in me that's where I start mm-hmm. really liking the movie mm-hmm. you know what is freaky what is that Sigourney Weaver never changes yeah, <laughs> yeah. like I don't understand yeah, also there is one movie where she did change and oh it was a shaved her head for the third alien I remember that no it was happy um, thank you that was one. Uh, Avatar was a very permanent change for her. <laughs> I know, that's why I'm joking. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. I just would like to never remember Chappie. That is not the movie I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, that one's an odd one. Be Chappie like this. Be like that. Great, I thought it was cute and adorable. And then and all of a sudden, like, a bunch of shit happened. I was like, what? Like, it's going not going to 
the, the, the second half of that movie doesn't even match the first half of that movie. No. It's very strange. And the entire contribution of Sigourney Weaver to that movie was, oh, oh. gotta grab my purse. Oh. <laughs> the point is that Alien... That one's there's a weird a, the, one. There's a very good reason that people revisit Alien a lot. Its practical effects are incredible. It's, it's, mm-hmm. character, di- it's character dynamics between characters are very very good um i like that there's power struggles there's secrets revealed like you said before spoiler you know one of them turns out to be an android with an ulterior motive as the mission all that stuff and then and then there's the fact that this alien is getting bigger and you know that like that what i like is when the world builds up rules so they talk about how they can track it and the alien gets sort of smarter and gets around things that it's using and stuff like that so it, right. I, I like it well I, I like it yeah. when the I like it when the bad guy is trying. I hate the movies yeah. where the bad guy, whether it's a monster or a human or whatever, I hate it when the bad guy is just like, oh, well, I just forgot about that. And uh, and I made it anyways, or something like yep. that. You know, like, it, I hate those movies. <laughs> Definitely. It's, it's, nice when, it's nice when the villain gets smart to the good guys. It makes the fear a little more real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the 60s and 70s, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. So, thank you once again for listening. As a, as Sam said, this is our kind of a wrap up of the sixties and seventies. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Hollywood underscore Deep Dive on Facebook, Hollywood Deep Dive. Jordan, what's your Twitter handle? H L W D Deep Dive. Very good. And Nicole, else? Nicole, what are you gonna do when he's like not here? Are you gonna remember the Twitter handle? Maybe one day. Maybe one day. I'll make it. You'll probably Year's ask me, and then I'll have to look it up. Yeah. No I'll make it. I'll make it my New Year's resolution to remember the Twitter handle. So talk to me uh, in, in January like, twenty one. Okay, be sure to change the handle next year, such so Just have to remember another one. Yeah. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. Exactly. Anyways, well, as uh, excuse me, as I choke on the air. Are you all right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that xenomorph's coming, Nicole. Look out! Yeah, it's coming. It's right here. Um, so with that in mind, um, get off the also... ship. <laughs> <laughs> um, Meet us next mind, time. <laughs> yes, come join us next time, and have a great evening. Stay safe. And we hope to see you in the next episode. Bye. 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 Bye.